Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You were listening to episode 107 of The Spin Chagrin, and last week's category was Bemused, Confused, and Ready to Abuse. So, Frank, what did you come up with for this category? Um, So, I don't know. I think we talked about this when you gave me the category last week, but this came from my description of the acting style of Sam Neill. Yes. Like how... The three expressions the same. Yeah, he's only got three expressions. Mm -hmm. Um, So my initial thought was that I should watch the Sam Neill movie. But then I didn't do that. Um, First, because Sam Neill has been in a bunch of trash that I don't care to see, which I know is like kind of the point, but it just didn't really appeal to me. (laughs) Or it's like stuff that's, I don't know, so like Pablum or whatever. Like he's in a bunch of, um, I almost feel like Lifetime movies or whatever. Um, so instead I chose two movies that I really think kind of accurately fit the description. Um, and what we're, what, what we'll do is I'll describe both movies and then you tell me which one you need the chagrin for. And then we'll, um, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, so the first movie, you know what, let's, let's do this chronologically. The first movie we're going to talk about is stepfather two, um, which is also known as stepfather two colon make room for daddy uh it is the sequel to the 1987 um domestic horror film the stepfather uh starring terry o'quinn of lost fame Hmm. is terry o'quinn in this one as well i've never seen two it is he is okay uh which initially doesn't make any sense because terry o'quinn is most definitely murdered at the end of stepfather right um by being both shot and stabbed in the heart deeply with a knife Uh uh-huh um, but for the sake of a sequel, uh, Terry O'Quinn survives somehow and has ended up in the Puget Sound um, home for the mentally insane or something like that. Um, You're not even so, making it up. Jesus. What's that? You're not even making that up. That's true. No, that's really where it is. Um, so they basically, I don't know if it's inspired by because it's around like the right time, but. It feels like sort of like rip off a little bit of the Rorschach part of um, Watchmen where he goes to jail Mm. and there's this well-meaning psychiatrist who's trying to kind of figure out like, you know, like what 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 makes this murderer tick kind of thing. Um, So he starts out in the hospital and the psychiatrist is like having sessions with him um, when and being watched over by this guard who believes that, you know, uh, Jerry Blake, who's the name of the stepfather, um, is like this insane killer and doesn't deserve to be trusted. But his psychiatrist is like, nah, we got to give him a chance. Um, so they develop this relationship where uh, Terry O'Quinn kind of like wins, him, wins the psychiatrist over and the psychiatrist starts giving him uh, more and more leeway. And, like, you know, wants to hear his story and believes that they're making progress and he's, like, humanizing him, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, Terry O'Quinn is a psychopath. Um, so, one day during during a session, um, so his, his gimmick is that he makes <laughs> little model houses of the houses that he had lived in when he was uh, murdering people. Hmm. Um, and he makes little like dolls of those people too. 
Uh, but the secret is he's hiding a sh- he's hiding shivs inside of the doll. So one day when he's talking to his psychiatrist, he exposes the shiv and stabs the psychiatrist in the spine, like at the base of his skull, and murders him. Um, and then the security guard comes in and he murders the security guard too, um, and takes the guard's outfit and ends up escaping from the Puget Sound home for the mentally insane. Um, and meets this guy who's a traveling salesman who he also murders and stuffs in the trunk of his car and then steals his identity and ends up moving, um, to Los Angeles where he assumes the identity of, um, some dude that he saw had died in the newspaper, um, and basically sets himself up as, a psychiatrist for um, single women um, or women who have like emotional problems. Mm-hmm. So really quickly, like he meets um, this woman, Carol, uh, who's a single mom. Her husband has left her like they're separated um, or maybe they're divorced. Anyway, they're not together anymore. The husband left her because he was having an affair. Um, so Here's some insight into the mind of the stepfather. Um, all he wants is to have a family. Like he wants to like be married and have, have kids, but he doesn't want anyone to ever question anything about him or disappoint him at all because that's when he like turns murdery. <laughs> um, so he starts like wooing Carol and uh, making friends with uh, her kid. Um, Carol is played by uh, Meg Foster. Um, but yeah. I think he's been on the podcast a few times before. Sure. Uh, and Jonathan Brandis is the son. Um, Jonathan Brand. Why do I know that name? You know Jonathan Brandis. You've seen Jonathan Brandis. I'll look him, I'll look him up. It's fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, DSV, whatever the fucking Sequest. Yeah, Sequest. Yeah. Gotcha. So he starts having these women counseling sessions and. All the women are kind of like in love with him because he's so understanding and considerate. And um, this is Terry O'Quinn with a full head of like hair, by the way. Um, Good detail. So he's making these inroads with Carol and her son, um, and not not murdering anyone at at, at the present time. Um, but then Carol's husband comes back, and he's like, "Hey, I want to reconcile," and I guess because, like, his, his affair woman left him. Um, so this makes, uh, this makes the stepfather super pissed because um, the f- previously, like, disappeared father is, like, ruining his scheme to, like, get in with this woman and basically steal her and her son. Sure. Um, so he tells Carol, like, well, as your psychiatrist, I think that I need to meet with your husband and make sure that his intentions are good. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so the guy comes over and is a dick to uh, the stepfather, which, you know, not a good idea. And then um, the stepfather's like, hey, I was I was just testing you to see if you were going to be um, going to be a good good husband to Carol again. You know, it's important that I make sure that you're so let's let's have a drink together. And so they go to have a drink together and Terry O'Quinn bashes him in the back of the skull with a bottle of like scotch or something 
And then the bottle breaks over the guy's head and he proceeds to stab him to death. Hmm. Um, and then in one of the funniest scenes in the movie, stuffs him in a trunk, drives out to a um, scrapyard, like a auto dest- auto destruction yard, I guess. I don't know. Junkyard, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, does donuts in the like lot, like while he's like going like, woohoo, and like being all like excited. Because he and killed then- the guy? Oh yeah, he he murdered the guy and then right. like bashes the car and then puts it in the car crusher and basically like gets rid of the evidence. Okay. So then he tells Carol that like, oh hey, oh he he goes to the guy's hotel and like gets rid of all of his like luggage and stuff too. Cause Carol wasn't gonna let him move back home yet. Um so then he convinces her that, you know, the guy wasn't right for her and he just left because he never meant to stay anyway. He was just trying to get back in their good graces, but that they should get married. And she's like, yes, let's get married. So now the stepfather and her are engaged. Um, so her best friend, Maddie is the local, uh, mail delivery person. And Maddie's kind of like growing suspicious of the stepfather anyway. And li- listen to this fucking logic because he doesn't get any letters from people all he gets are local bills and advertisements. Like, somehow they're, like, not getting, like, written letters from... Right. Like, it's some kind of indictment <clears throat> that the person isn't... Even in 1989, them. that doesn't feel right. Right. <clears throat> but anyway, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a different time. Although it's not that it's, much different. It's not. We were alive during that time. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, I I was getting letters sometimes, but... Who are you matter. getting letters I, from in 1989? My grandma used to write me letters, you, you jerk. <laughs> my my family was big on like writing letters. I don't know. Okay. Don't make it don't make it weird. But I also didn't move halfway across the country. It was just something we did. Right. So she confronts Carol about it at their engagement party. And Carol's like basically said the same thing you said, like, you know, not everybody wants to like whatever live in their past or anything like you need to just calm down and stop questioning my love for the stepfather because he's a good man and he treats me well and blah 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 so maddie like says okay but she doesn't give it up so she starts like digging through his mail even more and he gets a letter in the mail that's addressed to the name of the person whose identity he stole um and it's a uh, invitation to come back for his 25th high school reunion. Um, so she gets she gets the stepfather alone, and she's like, hey, I know that you're full of shit. Like, what are you trying to do here? And he's like, I'm not full of shit. I'm just, you know, I left where I was because one of my patients tried to stab me, and um, I wanted to get away from there. And she's like, well did you have a good time in high school? And he's like, uh, no, it wasn't that great. And she's like, I have a picture of you here in your high school yearbook. And it doesn't look anything like you. And he's like, well, people change over 25 years. And she holds up the picture and it's a bunch of black guys from the basketball team. And she's like, oh, nobody changes this much stepfather. And he's like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> so then he's got to, um, she tells him he's got to come clean to Carol. Um, so 
he says, all right, all right, let me, let me do it. Like, I'll tell her, I'll come clean and be honest with her. Um, but I owe it to her to do it myself. So heretofore, he has not wanted to have sex with Carol because he's like hyper moralistic and he doesn't believe in sex. Um, like sex before marriage or sex in general? Uh, I don't remember the first stepfather, but I think it's in general. I think he kind of feels like, like, that's why he likes to get in with families that already have a kid. So mm. he doesn't have to like bed the wife. He can just like have the family without like any of the, um, I guess, enjoyable part of creating the family. When she confronts um, him, the friend. Yeah. Maddie, are they so she they're on a party? Wait, they're on okay. a park bench. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I was wondering why he just doesn't kill her then. <clears throat> oh, because it's in public. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so he goes and he brings Carol a bunch of flowers and he's like, because she had gotten mad at him because they got in an argument because he didn't want to have sex and she didn't understand his reasoning for wanting to have sex. She's like, this is really Victorian, isn't it? And he was like, what's wrong with good old fashioned morals? <laughs> and she's like, well, nothing except that we're going to be married and I want some dick, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't give it. Um, yes. So, um, so he comes home and he's like, I was wrong. Here's some flowers. Let's have the sex. So they have like a. Is that what he calls uh, it because he doesn't know what it is? Oh, no, I'm just making that part up. I know. Like he says, let's make I'm also, it. Well, I'm assuming Meg Foster doesn't say I want the dick either, right? He doesn't, no. Okay. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a really poorly written encounter between the two. Um, So he carries her upstairs and at one point carries her one handed upstairs, um, mm. which is pretty impressive. So I guess I guess old Terry O'Quinn has some. uh. Um, unforeseen strength. Hmm. Um, so they go upstairs. That hair that he has. and Oh, so um, they're laying down in bed and she's like, he's like, I have something to confess to you. And she's like, there's time for that later. Like, let's just get down to business. And he's like, no, no. Um, I need you to see this. And he pulls his shirt up over his chest. So his like bosom is exposed. And it's a really weird angle because he's got kind of like a little bit of like man boobs. So it actually like looks like it should be the opposite kind of like in terms of the eroticism of the scene. But he shows her all the scars across his body from like when he's been like stabbed and shot and all this stuff. And he's like, I didn't think you would want to see this. I'm like Frankenstein. And she's like, no, baby, you're beautiful. So then she starts kissing his belly. Um and then it transitions into like the archetypical um like late 80s sex scene where she's uh covered by a blanket from the waist down and like riding on top of them mm-hmm. but you can only really see her from behind so there's actually no nudity in this movie uh which is actually sort of surprising for the time period but i guess meg foster wasn't about um showing her bosoms yeah well, so, she, she was hester Prynne at some point so you can't show hester Prynne's bosoms Hester Prynne is like the person that's showing her bosoms the most. <laughs> that's what gets her in trouble, man. Is like I, not being afraid. I was. You could have also went the route of like you know Demi Moore played Hester Prynne and she was always showing her boobs too. I'm just but. trying to be more classical here. <laughs> um. So they have the sex, and then, um, Terry Quinn, I guess, like with his masterful mastery of sexual conquest even though he doesn't ever want to have sex um knocks her out like with his prowess so he gets up and gets dressed and sneaks out 
and goes over to Maddie's house because Maddie lives like three doors down and basically breaks in and strangles her to death with a kitchen towel and then types up a suicide note and hangs her in her kitchen and makes it look like she killed herself. <laughs> okay. Um, but then, so he like wipes down all the fingerprints and stuff like it's going pretty well. But then she's got a bottle of wine sitting on the counter and he's like, oh, don't mind if I do. <laughs> and he takes it. So there's this running motif throughout the movie where he's always whistling Camptown races of all things. Mm. And Jonathan Brandis at one point, um, who's identified Terry O'Quinn as a father figure, is like, what's that song? It's really cool. You know, also like stretching the bounds of credulity in 1989 that this like fucking because he's a skater. He wears like Vision Streetwear clothes and stuff is like digging like Camptown races. Um. Like so a, isn't isn't like, there like some kind of like racist history of that song or something? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Oh, oh okay. Oh, the do that night. Oh, the do that day. Bet my money on a something rags. Somebody bet on the bay. No, I think it's just he, a he, song he just got us canceled. I'm right and probably. <laughs> Is it racist? I don't know. I have no idea. I thought I heard that somewhere, but I'll, I'll look it up later. It's not important. Sorry. Anyway. Um, I don't know that it's racist, so if it is racist, I apologize. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a song from the South from, like, the late 1800s, so I assume uh, probably, like, anything else right. has some element of, like, yeah. racial superiority to it. Um, so, anyway, so, he saw Jonathan Brandis' song, um, because he whistles it all the time. So as he's leaving the murder scene that he's cleaned up expertly, um, he's cutting through the yard next to Maddie's house and whistling Camptown races. And the guy that lives there is this blind man because they all live in the same neighborhood. That's like a fact I didn't mention. Um, and here's them whistling Camptown races. And the blind man's like, who's there? <laughs> I can't see you. And Terry O'Quinn is like, Yay! and he hops the fence and goes back home. And wakes up Carol and is like, hey, I got this bottle of wine. And she's like, where'd you get a bottle of wine in the middle of the night? And he's like, oh, I have my secrets. <laughs> um, so then she finds out the next day that, uh, so whatever, they drink the wine. So then she finds out the next day that um, Maddie's dead. And she's like, I don't think I can get married now because Maddie was my best friend. And I feel weird, like, getting married, like, so soon after her death. And Terry Quinn's like, hey, baby. Like the man, you know, we don't have to have a big ceremony or anything. We just get married in justice of the peace. Like marriage is the important thing. Um, so he wears her down, and they finally decide they're going to get married again. Like they're going to go through with it, right? So it cuts to like the wedding day, and Maddie's par like everyone's there, and Maddie's parents are there, and like, oh, you were her best friend, blah blah blah. She loved you so much. Um, so Carol is getting ready, and um. Jonathan uh, Brandis is like waiting outside um, and Carol's looking at the wedding gifts and one of the wedding gifts is from Maddie's parents and it's a four pack of the wine that um, Terry O'Quinn brought and she's like hmm and then as she's oh so I'm sorry so the blind guy came over like after Maddie got killed and said yeah it was the strangest thing like I think the guy that killed her came through my yard it was some weirdo whistling Camptown races um so as she's looking at this bottle of wine and like getting perplexed, um, Jonathan Brandis starts whistling Camptown races and she's like, 
where did you learn that song? Because like no one's ever watched Looney Tunes, I guess. Right. Um, and he's like, uh, I don't know. The stepfather taught me. And so she sends him out into the thing and then Terry O'Quinn just happens to walk in and she's like, tell me why you were whistling that song. I don't know. Whatever. Like, where did you get the wine? Don't lie to me. And he's like, Listen, she's really stuck on this wine. Okay. Yeah. All I want is to be married. Why can't you just let me take care of you? Right. Why are you nagging being, so much? Jesus. Stop being like a crazy bitch. She's like, I know you killed Maddie. And then he's like, well, I guess now I got to kill you. So <laughs> this guy who has like pretty carefully like constructed this fake life and really gotten away with it because who's going to check like backgrounds in 1989 mm-hmm. um, just decides like, well, I just got to murder this woman at our wedding, like where there's all these people here that know who we are and are expecting us to get married. <clears throat> so he starts breaking out wrestling moves like he like body slams her. Um, he gives her like a short arm lariat at one point. Um, he's like throwing her into tables. And then Jonathan Brandis comes in and tries to save her. Um, but then Terry O'Quinn chases him and then locks him in a storage closet, like down the hall, because they're in like this hotel. Um, and then comes back and or no, and then Carol comes out and tries to find him. And they end up in the reception hall where the wedding cake is. And so they start fighting there, and Terry O'Quinn like throws her through the wedding cake, which is actually hilarious, like because it's like at a low angle, and she just kind of like chucks her at the ground. It's it's a really funny, really funny shot. Um, and he's like, "Why couldn't you just let me love you? Like I wanted to be the best husband for you, and you wouldn't let me do it. All you women are the same." Um, so he backs her up into a table where there's like a serving knife, like the wedding, not the knife to cut the wedding cake. Um, and she stabs him in the chest again, um, but that doesn't stop him. So in the meantime, Jonathan Brandis is stuck in this closet and he gets a hammer down from like the top shelf and is able to somehow like knock the pins out of the door so he can just like get the door down. Mm-hmm. So he runs in, Terry O'Quinn's taking the knife out of his chest at this point and he hits Terry O'Quinn with a hammer in the hand and knocks the knife out of his hand. Um, and then Terry O'Quinn's like, Hey slugger. I was really good. I, I thought of you as the son. You wouldn't hit me again. Would you? And he reaches like, he's slowly reaching over to get the knife so he can stab Jonathan Brandis. And Carol's like, hit him, hit him. And Jonathan Brandis buries the hammer claw side up into Terry O'Quinn's chest. Um, and then he dies. Uh, right, sure. Oh, no, I'm sorry. So then he, like, collapses. And um, it cuts to inside the church. And there's the priest is there. And all these people are there. And they're, like, looking around, like, where are they? Um, and the door starts to open. And the priest, like, looks over at the organist and, like, nods, like, mm-hmm. And they start playing, din, 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 din. And then Jonathan Brandis and uh, Meg Foster walk in all covered in blood <laughs> to the fucking wedding chapel. And everyone's like, ah! And then it cuts back to Terry O'Quinn, who's dying on the ground as he's looking at the bride and groom um, top, like, wedding topper. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's how the movie ends. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's an extended cut of this movie that shows, um, I guess, just, like, 
Jonathan Brandis and Meg Foster like happy and like recovered afterwards. But I don't think there's a point to that. It's funny just ending on Terry O'Quinn's death. So right, Slugger is such a funny word. Yeah, he he calls himself like Champ and Slugger. Yeah, that shit's hilarious. Stuff like that. Yeah, that's um, really funny. Um, so it's so really just funny. just so you know, Stepfather Three, he survives all that shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Terry uh, O'Quinn's not in it though, but it's it's Gene Gene Clifford or whatever the character. Like, <laughs> we'd have to change what he looks like. Yes. There, there's some plastic surgeon in the first couple sentences of the. I didn't read the entire thing, but yeah. um, it's not like the worst horror movie ever. It's really goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a thing in um, so so <laughs> Terry O'Quinn when he's in the mental institution at night, he's plucking individual hairs out of his head, like one at a time, and saving them inside like a gum wrapper. And it's like, I was I was watching, and I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And the reason he did it was because he then uses glue to make a mustache out of his head hairs on his face to, like, further heighten his disguise because the stepfather doesn't have a mustache, but, you know, this security guard has a mustache, so. Sure. That's, That's real crazy. That's good. It's, it's really good foresight, though, on his part, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> So yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty competent actors in the movie, all things considered. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess that's like late eighties horror. Is that that's what you were getting? Is these people who are kind of like starting their careers that would be in these movies? Um, I mean, the plot's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Was Meg Foster? Did we talk about Future Kick? On we the- did talk about Future okay. Kick. Yeah. Uh, that, also, that is the uh, only time she appears on the podcast. Oh, she's sorry. She's in They Live Too. Uh, that's the only other one I think that she's been in on the podcast. We, we've we not talked about it yet, and I hope someday to get to it. But um, she's also Evil in in the Masters of the Universe movie. She is. Yeah. She's also in, um, which you'll never allow um, on a podcast of yours. But I think um, uh, The Lords of Salem is better than you think it is um i don't think it's bad i think it's really boring Hmm. okay but yeah she's in that too like because zombie like became obsessed with her um and using her in her ladies but but uh that that makes her sorry so she does beat out jonathan brandis who did the narration for pet cemetery because we did the first pet cemetery right in in the 89 probably Uh, yeah yeah That's the only time Brandis has appeared. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Talked about um the Zelda room. Yes, absolutely. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So that's the only other time. And sad story, uh, with him. But <clears throat> all right. So you ready for movie number two? Yes. What was the oh, chagrin, so... chagrin on that? Uh, it's like a six. Okay. I mean, it's it's on the chagrinny side of the scale, but it's not like too far on that side. Okay. If if you're okay with like late '80s slasher movies, then it's um um it's it's fine, you know. Mm-hmm. And Terry O'Quinn is really funny. Um, I don't know. It's it's 
It's not as good as Stepfather 1. Yeah, so does Terry O'Quinn play it a little bit more tongue-in-cheek in this one? Like, does he get the job of the sequel in some ways that it's ridiculous? Yes, 100%. He's yeah, okay. completely, like, hamming up in every single scene he's in. Yeah. I mean, like, it's worth watching just for the scene after he murders the um, ex-husband. And it's just like, woohoo! Right. Uh, like, spinning around, like, doing donuts in the friggin'... How come in the 1980s? Remember, I what, what did I? Oh, like punks in the 80s. We talked about before. How come in the 1980s, like every single scrapyard is just wide open and abandoned at night? I just think that's how it was. Maybe everything was simpler back then. It was. Just no. What what is somebody going to do? Then in, in the junkyard, dog. You know, like. Sometimes there's a junkyard dog. Right, yeah, sometimes. But, I mean, usually it's like, you know, what? I mean, it's that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm if I'm trying to really think about it and, like, not, like, be, like, jokey, like, what? It's when people start stealing scrap metal and shit all the time, right? And that's, like, usually, like, to sell for, like, drug addiction and, like, maybe that kind of... Maybe think the selling tin to get their hooch or whatever? Yeah, maybe, I guess. <laughs> I mean... Did, but I don't. Did, did somebody not care? I mean, it's just a junkyard. Did anybody ever really care? I don't know. I don't know. I guess cars didn't really hold as much like intrinsic value back then, like before, like the car collecting boom, with like people driving classics. Right. I don't know yeah. what was that. Nineties or early two thousands, or probably the nineties. It was definitely the nineties where you started seeing like these, like you know. At least locally, like I, you would have those things downtown, like you know, the classic car, like you know, shows on Friday nights or whatever, and shit like that. So, yeah, yeah it was nineties at some point. It's when those boomers started making their money off of, like you know, the the eighties, like you know, um, economic boom. So, so confused is most of the people in this movie, especially around like Terry O'Quinn, right. Um, bemused is Terry O'Quinn as he's um, murdering people because uh, he, you know, I wouldn't say like he gets like overly excited, but he's definitely like into it a little bit mm-hmm. and ready to abuse. Obviously, Terry sure. O'Quinn's always ready to murder anybody. Yes, so good, 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 con- good connections. I like it. The next one's even better. Oh. Okay, what's next? And this also has a connection to last week's Spin Chagrin, so we're following like a through line here. Oh, shit. Um, we're going to talk about 1991's Double Impact, um, directed by Sheldon Ledich, starring <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jean-Claude Van Damme as <laughs> twin brothers Chad and Alex Wagner. Um, okay. Also has Bolo Young, who is the villain in Bloodsport. Um, so that's like, do we talk about Bloodsport? No. Anyway, he's in Bloodsport. He's like the big muscly I, uh, Asian antagonist. Sure, yeah. Uh, someday, because you talked about kickboxing off air, about like you know, I was like, there's there's never any more kickboxing like things. Um. And you're like, I'm just going to watch them anyway. I, and I thought like, oh, what we need to do actually someday is like on the primary podcast, like a like your top five kickboxing. 
Movie. Oh yeah, I could do that. Yeah, might be hard to narrow it down after all this. So does uh, the, double impact like, has nothing to do with like anything? What? It's just its own movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not okay. a sequel or anything. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, they're only kickboxers in the sense that, like, they don't even use kickboxing because I think it might be like jujitsu or something that that mm-hmm. they they do. Um, this also has Jeffrey Lewis in a co-starring role. Um who is unhinged in this movie like I, he must have been drunk during the entire production because it's one of the most like pop-eyed hammy over-the-top performances i've ever seen mm. um so anyway have you seen double impact Do you know this movie no i if i have it's lost in the memory banks of um like 12 year old like i don't think so this is another movie that I could have sworn if you would have asked me like a year ago, I would have told you I'd seen it, but I remember nothing from it. So my guess is I must have just watched like um, Sudden Impact like a bunch of times or um, whatever that other movie he's in, Party Kill or whatever, or is that Seagal? Anyway, um, so starts out in the 1960s in Hong Kong. Um, this guy and his wife are uh local businessmen um they're funding like the creation of this tunnel uh in china um which i guess is like a real thing it's like the victoria harbor tunnel or something like that yeah um they have two twin sons that are like infants um and they're leaving this party where they've met with this guy who's like their business partner this guy nigel um they're driving home and Frank Avery is their bodyguard. And he's following them. Um, and they have walkie talkies they're talking through, um, which seems kind of advanced for like the 1960s. Mm-hmm. But um, basically the dad is like, Hey Frank, take the night off. We're just going home. And Frank's like, Oh, are you sure you don't want me to follow you? And the dad's like, nah, we're good. You know, we're just going to turn in. So they split off. And as they're driving, the dad's like, Hey Frank, did you take the night off? And mind you, they're like got to be like a mile away at this point, but these radios are still working just fine. And Frank's like, uh, yeah, like I, oh maybe they're CBs. It doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, so this group of gangsters follows the family, and Frank's like, I'm coming back for you. Um, so there's these triad members are there, um, and they get in a gunfight, um, and the dad has a gun, but he eventually gets gunned down. And then they come and they shoot the mother. Um, and just as they're about to murder the two kids, um, Frank shows up and starts shooting them. Um, and he shoots the one guy through the glass of the car and the bullet like hits the guy's face and the glass like shatters in his face. But the guy's still alive. Um, so the maid or nanny that was with him, she runs away with one of the brothers and Frank takes the other brother and runs away. So cut to 25 years later, where Jean-Claude Van Damme is a yoga instructor in this, like, karate dojo, or, like, martial arts dojo. Mm -hmm. Um, And all the women love him, and he's, like, flirting with the ladies and, like, grinding his pelvis while he's doing his splits. Um, And Frank is there. Frank's, like, older now, and he's, like, running the dojo. And he calls him, like, they call him Uncle Frank, so I guess he thinks that he's, like, his uncle. Um, So Uncle Frank has found evidence that um, and this is Chad, by the way, has found evidence 
that Alex is still alive in China and has pictures of Jean-Claude Van Damme, but instead of wearing like a unitard, he's wearing like a tight black t-shirt and like leather pants. Um, <laughs> okay. So the, the idea is that they're going to go back to Hong Kong and take back what was stolen from them um, by Mr. Leung, who's like the evil Chinese businessman. Um, and Nigel that stole like everything from him. So the basic plot itself is that these two Westerners are going to go to Hong Kong and confront an established businessman and demand all like basically like reciprocity for all the 25 years that they've profited off this tunnel with no evidence and no legal backing. So what's the, what's the, what's the problem? Right. You're right. <laughs> um, so they go to so, Hong Kong. Hold on. So is there any tension? Like they just like meet and they're like, we're doing this. Like, like, well, Frank and Frank and um, Chad talk about it. And Chad's like, I don't want to go to China. And Frank's like, but wait, you do. This guy murdered your dad. And he's like, okay, I guess I want to go to China. Okay. So then all of a sudden they're going to China. So they go, and they go to this bar, and when they walk in the bar, like, people are looking at Chad. <laughs> Chad, who's wearing a polo shirt tucked into khaki short shorts. Um, and they're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. speaking like Mandarin or whatever. Um, this guy, like, goes, ah, screams at him and then hands him, like, a lot of money. And he's like, oh, I really like China. Ha, ha, ha. Then this woman comes in, this blonde. And she's like, mm, you look really good in that outfit. Come in the back with me. And then she puts her hand down his pants and starts like playing with the junk. And she's like, silk boxers. I'm really impressed. Um, and she's getting ready to like go down on him. And then Jean-Claude Van Damme part two walks in. And this is Alex. And he punches Chad in the face. Um and then they find out like this is like this misunderstanding and the girlfriend is like, how would I know it wasn't you? It looks just like you. And he's like, I never wear silk boxers. Um, he also doesn't practice. wear polos tucked in the khakis, does he? No, he doesn't. He just wears right. black t-shirts. Um, does, does Alex have any recognition that he's punching himself in the face? Like, does it seem to cross his mind that it's like, hey, this guy looks exactly like me? Uh, Alex is very like pragmatic in that sense. Like he just kind of like takes things as they come. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> all um, right. I mean Chad's like all weirded out by it, but Alex doesn't really matter. But Chad's like the you know soft <clears throat> yoga instructor, yeah, with the polo. Yeah. So at first, um, they they tell Alex what's going on. And Alex is like, "Fuck that! I'm not going to help you." Um. But then, like, nothing really happens, and Alex is like, "Okay, I'm on board," because they want to take the, they they want to take down Nigel Griffin and um Mr. Leung, and then it turns out that Kara, who is um Alex's girlfriend, um, she works for Griffin. Oh no, I'm sorry, Danielle. Danielle, Kara, somebody else. Danielle works for Griffin. So then there's this thing where they're trying to prove that like he actually stole and murdered um alex and chad's parents um 
fuck. I'm getting. So. Alex and Chad, Alex takes Chad and Frank out on his boat and you find out that Alex is actually like a smuggler and a criminal. And the thing is, is he's trading cocaine for Mercedes, but then the Hong Kong police like start chasing him. And so Chad and Frank ditch the Mercedes into the river. So the boat can go faster. Um, but then Frank uses a machine gun to blow up the Mercedes um, which Mr. Leung is not happy about, but he's basically like, so then later they're at the bar and Chad ends up getting like picked up by Mr. Leung. Um, and he's like, Hey, you know, I know that like this, it went bad in the river, but like, if you help me, like we can make a ton of money. And one of the MacGuffins in the plot is that there's this um, cigar box that's got Chad and Alex's dad's initials on it. Um, and Mr. Leung is, like, smoking cigars out of it. So Chad sees it. And he's, like, all furious because he knows now for sure that this guy is the one that, like, murdered his father. Mm. Um, so they go to this abandoned lot. And uh, Mr. Leung's like, so I want to make you a proposition. I want you to come work for me. Because he thinks that Chad is Alex, of course. Um, and Chad's like, fuck yourself. And they're like, what did you say? He's like, go fuck yourself. So then um, Bolo, who's there, who's still like Mr. Leung's enforcer, um, beats the shit out of him. And they throw him in a storage container and then drop him back off at his bar. And that's the point where Alex is like, where Alex is like, yeah, I'm in now. Hmm. So what their plot entails is they go find an abandoned hotel on an island and that's what they make their base of operations from which they can attack Leung and Griffin. But it doesn't make any sense because instead of like just hiding out somewhere in Hong Kong, they like sail away to some other place. Um, so they're like, it's like a, like naval strikes like, yeah, on I guess their... so. like okay. but they don't have like a helicopter and they would have to, I mean like, Alex's boat is like a barge. It's like a skiff, kind of. So he's not like, it's not going anywhere fast. Um, <laughs> okay. So, All right. um, so Alex and Frank are out in the jungle, like collecting uh, firewood. And um, Chad gets a call from Danielle basically saying that, oh, so uh, Griffith has a woman working for. Um, who is does this happen then I'm sorry I missed the part so after he gets beat up they have this idea that they're going to disrupt like this big meeting of like the triad that's happening with Griffin and Leung and Leung had made some offhanded comment that um, if he's not willing to work from him he can still just bring him the cognac when it comes in because I guess it's one of the things he smuggles is cognac Mm-hmm. Um. So, Alex goes in the front door carrying a case of cognac, and Chad goes in the back door carrying a case of cognac. But really, they're bombs. So they plant the bombs, and then um, they get caught, kind of. They get seen, and that's when um Griffin's like, "There's two of them," and Frank, who has the detonator, blows up the bombs and like blows up the club. Um, and that's when they escape and they go hide at the island. Um, they run away. So anyway, so 
um, there's this bodyguard that works for Griffith who's this giant muscular lesbian um, who's always trying to, like, molest Danielle. And Danielle keeps going in the record room to find, like, the records that show that Griffith stole the tunnel from Chad and Alex's dad, which also seems ridiculous that, like, this guy who's, like, a huge criminal is just going to randomly keep a file that's, like, basically, you know, proof that I committed fraud and murder 25 years ago. Right. Um, but apparently it's, like, really easy for Danielle to just find this file that immediately proves what, you know, Frank is saying is true. Um, but that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Kara molests her. Um, and Chad goes to save her. So Chad rescues her and is bringing her back. But um, Frank and Alex were collecting firewood. So they... Um, didn't see him leave. So Alex immediately assumes that Chad has gone to have sex with Danielle. And there's this montage of Alex getting drunk on Johnny Walker, like imagining Chad and Danielle having sex. But it's really weird. Probably pretty easy. Right. He's just picturing himself having sex (laughs) at that point. Um, But he gets like increasingly worked up and like freaks out. Uh huh. Uh, so then, it's pure, pure Othello here, yeah. So while this is happening, the bad guys have taken a helicopter, and Frank is just hanging out on the beach, like looking up at the helicopter, and they're like, "Oh, look, there's that guy." So this is obviously like where they're hiding out. Um, so that part's pretty dumb. Uh, <laughs> so then they come back, and Alex is super pissed, and he punches Danielle in the face. For cheating on him, and oh him my and god, Chad, him and Chad get in a fight and they beat each other up. And then Frank's like, "Break it up! We got to remember what our mission is." And that's when Chad's like, "Fuck the mission! I'm leaving." And they're like, "How are you going to get home?" And he's like, "I will swim," um, but he doesn't do that. Uh, so then, um, the bad guys come to the island and they have like their army, and they kidnap Danielle and Frank. Um, and then Alex and Chad beat up all because they were in the jungle for some reason they beat up all the bad guys that are left and realized they have to go rescue um frank and danielle um so they torture one of the bad guys to find out where they're being held and they find out they're being held on this thing called the golden chance which is like this um uh luxury steam liner that griffith and leong have bought um so they break in and they basically fight through like all the bad guys you've been introduced to this whole time, like the um, henchmen. Um, where Chad. So in this gigantic country, they take their boat to another boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's really easy for them to find this boat. Um. So, uh, Chad is the one that fights Bolo. Um, and they get in this fight, and it's actually like something out of Double Dragon. Like Bolo is like a Bobo kind of where he's, like, picking up, like, these giant barrels and throwing them at Chad, and um, Chad ends up overcoming him, though, and kicking him into this, like, exposed electrical panel that's, like, live, and Bolo gets electrocuted to death and dies. Right. Then they go, and um, Danielle and Frank are tied up in the boiler room. So this is the second Van Damme movie in a row that's had a boiler room, which is pretty awesome. 
in a boat. Mm -hmm. Um, so they fight some. Oh shit! See Siri talking. Mm -hmm. Um, they fight some of the bad guys, and then Kara appears, and Alex and Kara have a fight. Um, where she uses her thighs basically to crush his head because, of course, she's a lesbian, so she's got strong thighs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he ends up stabbing her to death. Um, so then they get Frank and Danielle free, but Leung has fled one way and Griffith has fled the other. So Alex chases Leung and Chad chases Griffith. Um, so Leung ends up running on top of a giant, like, mobile crane. Um, and Alex chases him up and they fight up there. And Alec and Alex ends up knocking him into the gears of the crane, which crushes him to death. And then Chad um, chases uh, Griffith, and Griffith has a gun, so he's shooting at Chad and Danielle. They're together. Um, uh, but they end up they end up cornering him, and he gets in like a giant, like I don't know, like freight mover kind of like truck. Um, and he's driving it towards them and like forcing them off the pier and so um chad jumps in the water and griffith's just out and shooting his gun at the water um trying to kill chad because i guess he figures he's gonna stay in one place underwater like immediately in front of where he got knocked in but um chad is tricky so he gets in oh and you know what it is it's it's a it's another crane but it's a crane that has like a um like a shipping container on it okay um so he releases the shipping container and crushes Griffith and kills him. So these two Americans, plus this guy who is a criminal in China have now murdered like 40 or 50 people, I think. Yeah. Um, but have no repercussions. Like that's it. They're just like fine in the end. Um, and Alex and Danielle embrace and they're together and um, everybody's happy and that's it. That's a double impact. So nice. I um, you like really it, right? Jean Claude. Oh yeah, I'm <laughs> a, I'm I'm a big fan of Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, and his 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 stunts are really good. Like he's actually a pretty entertaining guy to watch. Like do martial arts and whatnot. Uh-huh. So, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it's a goofy movie, and you really have to like just let go of any semblance of reality that you might cling to in terms of sure. like how it should work in real life. Um, but yeah, I mean, entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of like stalwarts from this era of like action movies. Um, like I said, it's, you know, I mean, Bolo Young and, um, you know, Van Damme himself. And then Jeffrey Lewis is just ridiculous in it. Like he's always like freaking out about everything and popping his eyes out of his head. Um, Philip Chan, who you've seen in a number of things, he's actually the um, lieutenant in a uh, hardboiled Philip Chan. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like like I said, yeah, like I like Cole, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of guys that when you see them, um, are all like guys that are in like tons of action movies from that time um julie strain is actually in this movie briefly if you know her i don't think so uh she is a pinup model like a playboy model kind of 
maybe penthouse. I, she's actually in penthouse, I think, from the late eighties, early nineties, who ended up married to, I believe, Kevin Eastman of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fame. Oh, geez, okay, yeah. Um, she's the inspiration for, I think, Heavy Metal Two Thousands main character or whatever. Hmm. Anyway, she was a really popular like nude model from the early to mid nineties. Gotcha. That, like everything. Um, and then gained like extra like nerd cred for marrying the turtle guy. Mm. I think it's Kevin Eastman that she's married to. It is. I picked it, it up. Yep. Um but yeah, I don't it's a good movie. It's fun. I really enjoyed it. So, so that also is like no no chagrin at all, really, like a three. Okay. So I was looking up uh, Karina Everson, who played Kara. Um, she was a six-time Miss Olympia. Yeah, she's muscular as shit. And uh, connection also to last week's episode. Uh, she has a pretty limited filmography overall. She tried to break into acting, but uh, she was in an episode of Renegade with Florence Olamas. <laughs> oh, it looks like she played TV's Mallory Knox in Natural Born Killers. Yes. Yeah, I did read that in her bio. Yep. Um that she was in that. Um but yeah. Oh my god, she was in Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. She was two episodes too. And Hercules. In a few and Hercules, episodes. Lois and Clark. I mean, it's 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 very nineties. Uh, strange luck, if anybody remembers that show. Um Home Improvement, Charmed. D.B. Sweeney's hit. Charmed, yeah, that was her last role. Hawk Page was the character. That's combining a bunch of things. Hawkus Pocus was the episode. Brother. Brother. Anyway, Um, like if you, um, I mean, I guess your, your mileage may vary, so to speak, just based on like what you enjoy, but, um, I really liked it a lot. Yeah. I've yet to watch, uh, uh, um, you have to watch a Van Damme movie that I haven't like really enjoyed. So mm. there's got to be at least one. I'm sure it'll happen. We'll get there. Um, did you ever watch that like short run TV series series that he did where he plays no. himself? Uh, uh-uh. it was only like three or four years ago or something like that. Are you talking about that movie? Uh, wasn't a movie. I thought it was a TV. It was. I think it was a limited series. Like I think it was like ten episodes or something. I think the limited series was inspired by the movie because the movie was really popular. Oh, okay. Gotcha. There's a movie called JCVD that he put out uh, 10 years ago, maybe. Maybe a little more than that that like got all kinds of acclaim out of nowhere. Gotcha. Like people like rediscovered Van Damme. Um, yeah. Let's see. It was a six episode. Sorry. Yeah. That's, yeah, you must be right then. Yeah. It looks like or it's an extrapolation from the movie, maybe, or something. Yeah. But it was on Amazon. Probably still is, I'm sure. I think it was Amazon Prime, like, exclusive. What has he done recently? Anything? God, he's still making movies, really? Are they all I mean, French? He's an amazing actor. He's Belgian, so. But they speak French, I think. Right. No, American, American. There's still kickboxer movies being made? That's a franchise that can never die, sir. Kickboxing is amazing. 
This is the seventh, 2018, the seventh movie in the Kickboxer franchise. I did not know this. Kickboxer Retaliation. Who's in this? Jean-Claude Van Damme is in it. Tyson's in it? Christopher Lambert is in it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, huh. All right, well, let's see if you can continue the trend here um, on a third week. Go ahead and share. It's very loud. All right. The category for next week is look. Category for next week is look. I didn't even hear the wheel spin or anything. Oh no, no, there was no noise. Oh damn, that's a shame. Um, I don't know what happened here. Let's see. We're gonna do it right. We're gonna do it. Do it live. <clears throat> that's really weird. That didn't happen. All right, there you go. You hadn't shared your screen, that's why. Oh, uh, okay. There we go. <laughs> Wonder what the category is going to be, huh? Where do you know what the What do you think it's going to be? It's going to be look. The category for next week is look. Um, there's so I'm many categories think, like that yeah. on this list. I'm gonna just do whatever I want. Ah, <laughs> uh, really? That's what you're gonna do? Yes. It's my chagrin. You ain't got no say. It's not going to relate right. to looking or seeing or... Yes, someone will see something in a movie. <laughs> you got me. <clears throat> that's an Orion. <laughs> that's an Orion exclusive. All those I mean, categories, all those categories a... are Orions. <laughs> like the ones that like are like things you say. Like he like fixates on like the things that you say. Like consistently i've said look has been one of my things for a hundred long years. time yeah mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's when you can tell that i'm really trying to make a point and that i don't care about what your response to my point is <laughs> yes or i think you're wrong yes look. it's it's multifaceted it is <laughs> i say multitudes <laughs> all right so next week is look um, for episode 108. So Frank, uh, for like you know ten minutes or so, uh, you got a couple choices here um, that we can do. We can either watch some of the movie trailers that debuted on the Super Bowl last night, or we could watch celebrity commercials from the Super Bowl last night. Oof. Or we we could talk about the Super Bowl if you wanted to. I didn't watch enough of it to really talk about it. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <clears throat> get yourself in trouble. <clears throat> I'm emotionally stunted when it comes to the Super Bowl. Right. Which one you, you know we could, you know what we could talk about. We could talk about that fucking Usher performance. Yeah. That's what you want to talk yeah. about? People are really like marking out to it, and I thought it was terrible. I thought it was pretty lame. Um, I realized that it's it's not so much like Usher or whatever. 
it's like the whole spec the the forced spectacle of the idea of like all these people performing although i'll tell you what i marked out when little john was um in the crowd going like yeah okay what like that i was um what about ludicrous did you mark out for him oh yeah 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 except did his you? outfit was ridiculous yeah i like ludicrous when he came out wearing that fucking Oompa Loompa outfit, although I, that that was, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 under, I, I understand what you mean. Like, I didn't even mind Usher. Like, I thought he sounded like shit in like the very beginning. And then like he like once he was starting to hit high notes, he sounded all right. But um, and he still he still has it like in terms of like, you know, his choreography and movement and stuff like you know because yeah, he's like what like around our age like close to it yeah i think probably exactly like between I mean, you us or that, something? Um, uh you make me um is like 96 97 right right something like that and you make me want to leave the one i'm with they didn't play that song um <laughs> when they did when they did yeah though i really like that song a lot like <laughs> that reminds me of a very specific point in time and um, I thought it was really cool to have Little John and Ludacris there doing like that song. Usher was on an arc on the Bold and the Beautiful. That's nice. Where he played a um musician that I can't remember the name of. He was not Usher. Um, because the, the storyline, I I'm sure he didn't want to be actually be Usher. Um, but he is a musician and. He ends up like taking a liking to the poor white wrong side of the tracks girl on mm. the show who is currently dating like the rich, like, you know, heir to the fashion mogul. And he seduces her and fucks her. And then she gets pregnant, but she doesn't know if she's pregnant from him or the mogul's son. So she has to do this thing where she's like, you know, telling lies and playing games and changing like paternity tests, but she doesn't really know anything. Um, and like, he like catches on to her games and stuff like that. And, um, he's a dick in the show. Um, I think I know more about Usher's acting probably than I do his music, honestly, overall, um, just from that show. But uh, it was a long arc, too. It was, like, off and on for, like, a year he was on that show. Which, I guess, didn't translate to any kind of other future acting performances. So, that tells you something. So, good thing he stuck with music and is doing the Super Bowl in 2024. Right. <laughs> Have you seen the big deal that's been made out of him, like, basically butt-humping Alicia Keys? I have not. Yeah, it's like all those like memes about like what what uh, Swiss Beats is um doing like watching that. <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it was it was entertaining all day. Um, I actually thought Alicia Keys kind of sounded like shit. Mm, yeah, I, I think I had tuned out largely by that point. I agree with you about the spectacle stuff. Like some years, I I think that spectacle sucked. I didn't necessarily think it was just that well done like the spectacle aspect of it like i thought like was that last year or was that multiple years ago with like dre and no that was last year I was think it last dre year i thought that spectacle was actually handled fairly well overall game. yeah that, that was good and yeah. really entertaining mm -hmm. 
but the problem is, is that because Frankie and I were talking about this last night, you have to be so like, you know, they're really trying to like make it so everyone can like, it'll appeal to everybody, you know, like, like my mom knows who Usher is, you know, so, but my mom doesn't want to listen to Dr. Dre or Eminem or Snoop Dogg or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a Reddit thread earlier today that went back over the last 20 years since the Timberlake, um, Janet Jackson debacle. Right. Um, and showed like what each halftime show consisted of. It was basically like, which one is your favorite? And I didn't look at the results, but man, there has been some bogus ass halftime shows in the past 20 years. Like who the fuck cares about Bruce Springsteen or you, you too, or I don't like all that stuff is so fucking lame. So, so I, I, was, I, I was I was thinking about this a lot last night, actually, like some of the things you're talking about, about Super Bowl performers um, and <clears throat> especially the advertising and stuff like that. And I think it's really interesting because who they target, right? Like in terms of like who who was who was this for, like in terms of advertising? And it's obviously for us to some degree, right? Like, well, if it's Usher, it's for us. That's what I'm saying. And Dre was is for us, right? Yeah. I mean, which I think is really interesting. So let me go back here with just the halftime performers. So okay, um, that's a mixed fucking bag. Jesus Christ. Uh, 2000 was Phil Collins, Christina Aguilera, Enrique Iglesias, and Tony Braxton. Um, just that's a that's a kitchen sink approach to the to the halftime show. Um, Aerosmith and Insync the year after that. So there, there's a mix, right? You're hitting both, right? Um, you're hitting like the young audience and 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 the boomers. You two, um, in 2002, 2003 was Shania Twain and No Doubt. So that's that's skewing younger, right? Um, then there's the Jackson performance with everybody. So 2005 is McCartney, 2006 is The Stones, 2007 is Prince, 2008 is Tom Petty, 2009 is Springsteen. Um, let's see, 2010 is The Who. Oh, <laughs> no. See, the the this is like the, this is boomers producing this shit. Well, is That's- is it them producing it or is it the buying power? Like I think it's column A and column B, honestly, you know. Well, that's what I'm both. saying. The buying powers now rest with us, right? Like right. largely. So then 2011, Black Eyed Peas, 2012, Madonna, 2013, Beyonce, 14 is Mars, uh, 15 is Katy Perry, um, 16 is Coldplay. So it's kind of like, I guess, kind of back to us, maybe. I oh mean, my God, I remember that one. That's all that was awful. 17 is Gaga, but you can see it moving to the millennials quickly. Right, yeah, and then Gaga, Timberlake, Maroon Five, and then Shakira, Jennifer Lopez, then The Weeknd, then Dre, and then oh no, that was two years ago. Rihanna was last year, and then Usher this year. Actually, I don't think I watched the Super Bowl last year. In fact, I know I didn't watch the Super Bowl last year. I really can't stand the Chiefs, so it's hard for me to watch 
so the other thing like again like looking at it like this like so there's a commercial with jennifer aniston and david schwimmer right now that's like kind of crosses some threshold among generations because friends is still so popular among millennials and then even some of gen z like watches it right frankie watches friends right so but then schwarzenegger and danny devito right being in a commercial together like an obvious twins reference right yeah um that's 80s 90s um oops and then you have what uh scrubs guys uh brafe and Bazan with momo in a commercial like you know so there's like kind of like crosses over like a little but that's largely like millennials um Steve Austin in the Kawasaki commercial, like, you know, I didn't is see that one. You didn't see that one? No. Um and then what? Uh Affleck and Damon and J Lo in the Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Yeah, I watched that one. I thought that one was kind of funny. Yeah, that was probably one of the better ones of the night, honestly. Um Christopher Walken, did you see the BMW commercial with Alt Walken? No, I did not. Um, it. I thought it was lame, but it's like it's it's like the idea, like everybody's tries always tries to do a Christopher Walken impression, like which conceptually seems funny, but I didn't think it was actually that funny. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Uh, Aubrey Plaza gets a commercial for Mountain Dew, so that's a little that skews a little younger, but there's there is a lot of it. Um, that you start really looking at it and. A lot of it's for us. And I think that's, I don't know. I think it's weird um, that we're, I guess we're that age, right? Yeah. We got the buying power, right? I guess so. Do we? I guess we do. I guess it just shows that it's like, I guess maybe it shows like how bad things are for younger generations, maybe to some degree, like financially. Like millennials, like actually, like kind of got some shit for a while, and like now they don't. Now it's back to us. Mm. I mean, look at that list of people. Is there any Gen Z talent that got listed? Aubrey Plaza, yeah, right, maybe. But it's like Parks and Rec is a is a millennial thing. I think Aubrey Plaza is more popular than just Parks and Rec. Yeah, I'm saying her getting her start and all that kind of stuff, and you know where her like big fame kind of like broke through. Um, the weekend is is he like a millennial act? I guess so. I don't know. Find out. Do you like the weekend? Frankie says, "Yeah, he's fine." Okay. So maybe, maybe there's some kind of crossover there, but that's about it. Like, um, yeah, I just found the advertising really weird. I thought most of it was really bad. Uh, I thought it was lame. There was a couple commercials that were all right, and most of them that were trying to be funny, I thought were very unfunny. I actually thought, did you see the Disney commercial? The what Disney was the Plus Disney? commercial? It was just very simple. 
lines from movies like on the screen like text of lot like famous lines from movies and it's not obvious that it's disney whatsoever it's just all these famous lines from like indiana jones star wars this animated movie that animated movie um and then Disney Plus like comes up on the screen. I thought it was one of the more effective like thirty second spots of the entire thing because it's like you realize, oh shit, like yeah, they I guess they are all like you know, like Disney twentieth century Fox you know type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was one of the more effective commercials. Not trying to be funny, not doing anything other than like basically flexing with the famous like you know classic movies that they have like on their streamer. Um, I thought Affleck Damien was kind of funny. Yeah, um, that 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 was fine. Yeah, but so much of it was just really lame. Um, did you see yeah, the Audrey Plaza, Plaza commercial? The what one? No, uh, Audrey Plaza. That's the one. Jade Cargill was in it. Um, which she's gonna bl- end up blowing up. Um, in WWE. But yeah, she she there's a wrestling thing, Jay Cargill, like part of the Mountain Dew ad, and Jay Cargill's in it. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't really care about that stuff. So, like the commercials and everything is not appealing to me mm. at all. So you must have been really bored then. I didn't watch it, dude. I watched like you were like texting about it. Yeah, I turned, it, turned it on, and I was like, uh. And then we were doing other stuff. And then I turned it off and I played a video game maybe or watched some of a movie and then turned it back on around halftime so I could watch the halftime show because I just wanted to see that. And then didn't watch anything in the second half. I just like went to bed, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I only happened to see the Affleck commercial just from happenstance. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I was watching the commercial. Gotcha. I don't. Now that I'm old, I don't give a shit about relating to other people, so I don't. I don't fucking care. I don't want to talk about the goddamn Super Bowl ads or anything. Like it's commercials. Like, I don't. That's like you got to keep your finger on the pulse of modern marketing. I am the pulse. I don't need to fucking. Yeah. <laughs> you got to know what's going on out there. No. I don't need to know anything. Did you see the Skechers ad? I have no idea. What was the Skechers ad? <laughs> Fuck you. You're watching the Skechers ad then. Watch this embarrassing shit. Why are you trying to make me do this? I don't want to watch commercials. This is... You're, you're watching this one ad. Like... All right. Did you know there's no tea in Skechers? Never has been. What you talking about, Romo? Tea is always in Skechers. Tea and these Skechers slip-ins. Tea and these Skechers slip-ins. I pity the fool have to touch his shoes to put them on. Tea and these Skechers slip-ins. I pity the fool bends down to put on their shoes. I pity the fool isn't in Skechers slip-ins. See, Romo? Tea is always in Skechers. I'm just saying people often misspell Skechers and put a tea in it. Quit saying it. Start slipping, fool. That's fine. But I mean, like, 
it's awful it's terrible like how how do you feel how do you feel being advertised like having your nostalgia like compromised by sketchers there's no compromise to it i don't feel any kind of way it doesn't bother me terrible fucking unfunny ridiculous like Tony Romo's acting like a fucking fool, like can't stop laughing the entire fucking shoot. Because why is Tony Romo even in it? Because he's a spokesman for Skechers. Oh, is he? Yeah. Cool. Fucking that dude's commentary is bad. I thought I was the bitter one. I mean, I just don't care. Like, (laughs) it's a fucking commercial, man. Like, it's just because it aired during a sporting event doesn't mean anything special. I think about that. You know, you know who you. Do you know how much money they spend on these things, though? No one doesn't fucking matter to me. The money's not even real. So what? What? That's so untrue. Um, you're my father, is what you are. My father will protest every commercial that's ever on TV, and can quote you every commercial that's ever on TV. And you say, "Dad, I thought you didn't even watch them." And then he doesn't have an answer for it because <laughs> all of them, so he can hate them. But it's like, what are you doing? Like, just don't don't care if you don't care. I just matter. the thing I'll never understand is how these things work. What do you mean? It's completely obvious how they work. You've already said how they work. Like, who looks at these things and sits there and says, like, you know what? Like, that's going to make me buy Skechers. Nobody's thinking anyone's ever going to buy anything. What? what it is, they're like... Although, let me tell you something. Those shoes look pretty comfortable. Like, I actually kind of want to buy a pair of Skechers step-ins now. See, you fucking mark. You're such a not capitalist. Because, not because of Mr. T, but because, like, I like shoes that I don't have to tie. For obvious reasons. <laughs> Plus, when I travel... Yeah, so the slip-on thing worked on you. Yeah, it's super yeah. nice to um, have shoes you don't have to tie. Right. I have to fly. Like, if I have to take off my shoe, well, you don't have to do that in this fucking country anymore. But, um, why don't you get some Crocs? I'm not wearing no fucking Crocs. What am I? But they're slip ons. You slip them on really easily. That's one of the benefits of them. Listen, asshole, there's a difference between a shoe that slips onto your foot and a shoe that exposes your foot to the world. Like, I'm not a monster. I'm not going to wear Crocs. I see plenty of people wearing socks and Crocs at the same time. Well, that's look. <laughs> I, stop trying to rile me up. <laughs> it's exactly what you said. People are like, "What's our demographic that's going to be spending money from this Super Bowl?" Yeah. And they said it's Gen X. Mm-hmm. That's like the people that now have the most buying sway. Right. So here's Mr. T because they all remember Mr. T. Right. That's it. You know, I mean, it's just. I just don't understand the people that like look at these things and go like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to make me like Arnold being in a commercial that might have made me chuckle is going to make me like, you know, consider State Farm if I'm with a different insurance company. Here's what happened. Some fucking Madison Avenue geniuses <laughs> were sitting around a table and trying to brainstorm ideas. 
And some fuck had read it open to the Mandela effect. And some Mandela effect thing they read was, is there a T in Skechers? I think there used to be a T in Skechers. And somebody was like, there's no T in Skechers. And somebody else said, I pity the fool to think there's no T in Skechers. And they were like, ha, ha, ha. And then there's your commercial. Hmm. Do you know that um, Scorsese directed one of the commercials? I saw Scorsese in a commercial, and it made me want to fucking punch him in his goddamn old, stupid, droopy face. Yeah. Right. Fucking Marvel Universe isn't right, yeah. that, but let me milk. Oh, my God. See, he's making me <laughs> I knew I could get you at some point. I watched um, all the trailers already anyway. You watch all those movie trailers? I think so. Oh, yeah. Well, we've talked about commercials and halftime for long enough. I'm not going to make you do that. But um, there was an ad or there was a there's a YouTube channel I watched that I don't tell you about. That's basically like top upcoming movie trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't tell you because you always want to watch trailers on the podcast. So I feel bad mm-hmm. like that. I've basically already seen them. Um, I will say that I'm. Less enthused about Deadpool now than I was when it was announced. Did you watch that trailer? No. Do you know what else I haven't done? What? Ever watched any of the Deadpool movies? Well, um, I enjoy them. I know you do. Uh, I like that character, and I like the X-Men universe, so. Um, but anyway, I like the idea behind the Deadpool movie, but they break the fourth wall, like, three or four times in the trailer mm-hmm. and i'm just i don't we'll we'll see i'll go see that movie though you're gonna go to a theater to see that movie uh <laughs> let's not go crazy but i might <laughs> he said go to that's why i'm asking that's why i'm asking i've seen right. both the other deadpool movies in the theater so i kind of feel like mm. it might be something i want to do mm. okay I saw the first Deadpool movie and didn't tell you guys I went to see it because I was embarrassed. But I went to see it by myself um, one Saturday before we were going out to the bar. Why would you be embarrassed about seeing that? Uh, there was a pretty negative reaction to that movie before it came out from our friend group in general. Really? People were... Was it because of Ryan Reynolds? And it was that, and it was like the whole Deadpool idea. Um... I think that I, I think it was more Bledsoe than you. Um, but because like Deadpool's kind of a he's become like a cultural icon in a lot of ways, but really like in the nineties, he was sort of a lame character mm. that Lightfeld created just to be, I don't know, whatever, like edgy. Mm. Um Yeah, I don't watch then, it because of Ryan Reynolds. I mean, like that uh, that guy just annoys me, but I think Ryan Reynolds is one of the most honest and decent dudes in Hollywood and I support the stuff that he does because of that even though I think he makes really bad decisions and is not like a great actor but I think that he's just genuinely somebody that like loves this character and campaigned to you know like bring the movie to the screen and has basically like put his all into like being the character and I don't know like I appreciate that yeah, I mean that. Uh, it there, there's no consistency with me. It's like I'll watch Red Notice too. I'm sure when that comes out. Um, but uh, I'll I'll refu- I I just can't hit play on Deadpool. So 
<laughs> I just feel like Reynolds is the equivalent of like Downey Jr. or Chris Evans or Hemsworth or Hugh Jackman. You know what I mean? Like has perfectly encapsulated this character oh, okay. that they've played where I don't know that you can ever see anybody else play those characters and take it seriously because gotcha like no one else can be wolverine in my opinion and no one else right can be captain america or you know thor or iron man like there there was like no perfect casting on all those parts yeah that's actually one of the things that makes the batman movie so unsuccessful in my opinion is no one who's ever portrayed batman has like really 100 percent like captured who bruce wayne is and That's honestly true. i think the closest one was affleck from like a dark knight returns perspective um but in general like you know yeah it's like, yeah I'm, you're right because it's like I, I enjoy keaton even as bruce wayne but it doesn't capture it you're right i mean like you know um obviously the other ones no um affleck you know does a good job i agree um, especially of that type of Batman, Pattinson's like weird. Is one hundred percent Tony Stark, you know, like an well, egomaniac with the most fragile sense of like self doubt. And Evans is like the perfect captain, you know. Like they're all like yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, like in my opinion, like Ruffalo, not great casting as Bruce Banner. Um. But he's really the only, like, he's, like, really the worst. Everybody else, like... Right. I don't understand the Ant-Man hate either, because I think that um, Rudd is fantastic in those movies. Yes, I agree. I don't understand the hate for Quantumania. Like, I didn't realize that was so poorly considered, like, um, that movie. Quantumania, like, for real, is because of, like, the anti-Disney, like, wokeness thing. Mm. What what about that movie is... It because it just happened to like get caught up in that whole time period. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I didn't understand that when I like saw it a month ago. Like, I just figured people liked it, but um, people didn't really like Ant Man two that much either. It seemed. Um, yeah, I, I don't do it. I, I don't get it. I don't know. Yeah, but no, I I actually like the Ant Man movies. Um, and I like Paul Rudd in them. Yeah, but the other thing too is like it really is a good. Like it's Modoc is good in it. Like I mean, it's not right, like right. Is, but yeah, like I like that character. It's a ridiculous. Like as as a non comic person, ultimately, like that just got fed things to read. Modoc is ridiculous to me. Yeah, like conceptually. Um. So. I thought that was like the best way you could do it because Modoc comes from a time period that it's hard to take that stuff seriously. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I love it, but it's not like it, it's hard. It's a hard sell. It's like why they never introduced aim necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. and like leader and stuff like that. And honestly, I think they fucked up Hydra too, in a lot of ways. Um, but they wanted to, stri- they've always wanted to stray from that traditional 
comic bookiness of mm-hmm. the stuff that that's drawn from. They just want to steal the storylines of it. So right, right. Uh, that's a that's a much larger conversation someday. And you're not even really watching the Marvel stuff now, are you? You're like I out of it right now. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to one of the guys at work about it, and he 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 said he just watched Echo, and I was mm. like, yeah, I'll probably never watch that. And I really, I think, I guess the last thing I watched was. I watched Hawkeye, mm-hmm. uh, which I really enjoyed, and I watched um, Love and Thunder and Quantumania and the Doctor Strange movie. I don't know when those came out, but I feel like they were all kind of around the same time. Sure. Um, and I have not watched Guardians 3, even though it's been available to watch for a long time. Right. And I have no desire to watch it. Hmm. Um, I never finished Loki. I did watch Werewolf by Night, which I thought was good. Right. Whatever that show is called. Um, but that was completely different than any other Marvel stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Loki's maybe the best overall, like those two seasons of like whatever 12 episodes total, like between the two, is probably the. It's either that or Hawkeye is like the best TV show I think that they produced out of everything. I- See, I found it really boring, and I actually kind of hate their interpretation of Kang. So it's, I'm not like super interested in it. How do you need an interpretation of Kang? Um, I don't know. I can't explain it, but like to me, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, like because Kang is kind of like always a villain that sort of exists like behind the scenes and, and pushing forward other villains, but I don't know. I guess I just don't like the performance and I don't like the showing him as like a man thing kind of I don't know. Are you to, so you got to the end of that season then? The no, no, no. I only know Kang from Quantumania. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um gotcha. Which I thought he was terrible in. Uh, not not terrible. I actually like that performance and I like that guy, but I didn't think it was Kang. Like it was just gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that Loki sets up though by the end is that all of the whatever you want to call them, like Kangs. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, I mean, like there's like multiple versions of that character. That too. Like, I'm, <laughs> I think that's some Kang retcon from. The 2000s that I just don't know about, mm-hmm. maybe. Gotcha. Um, no, I actually thought that was like that, that like elevated the character in my mind when I saw it. Is that like there's all these versions that are fighting each other, like you know, and like vying for supremacy. Um, I thought it was like a really cool concept. I, mean, like, I think that's boring. Um, but it's all happening behind the scenes, so you don't see it. So like the ones that you see are the kind of like more of the supreme ones and stuff like that, like um, versions of the character. Uh, none of the not not that any of it matters now because they're going to have to fucking move away from that shit probably. Um, because I character, what does it matter? Yeah, you could. I um, mean, the way that they did it, you can have anybody do it. You're, you're, that's cool. right. That's right. You could have a fucking alligator play it or something. Um, An alligator? Oh yeah, that's something that happens in Loki. There's a alligator loki um 
but <clears throat> like out of all of the whatever millions and millions of multiverses um but yeah you can do anything you want like with it but yeah uh the only thing i find really interesting that you might not have heard i don't know how much you keep up on it now but is that is that they basically like they stopped production on daredevil and like where it was going to be something ridiculous like 19 episodes or something like now it's like back down to like 10 or, or some shit and it's going to be a continuation of the netflix stuff yes i do know i heard that okay they got all the principles back to mm-hmm. play their... yeah, yeah. That's good. except for Dan, the guy who played danny rand right they're redoing that they are redoing that and i think that uh i think it's the female lead in that is going to take over iron fist is the rumor I can't remember Look, the actress's name as Punisher, right? Again, right. and what's his name, Matt Jones or whatever, is um, yeah, Daredevil. yeah, um, and then, and hopefully, I mean, they can do something to finish up Luke Cage, which I was, I thought those first two, first two seasons of Luke Cage were actually really good, and there's elements of the second season that are that's better than the first and there's elements of the first it's better than the second but i really like that show a lot i just didn't necessarily like like him whatever his name is like mike colden or something um i thought he's a little bland but he was fine um it's just a little bland but i really liked everything around it and um they end that on a huge cliffhanger and hopefully they'll be able to wrap some of that stuff up um i wouldn't mind seeing um what's her name is jessica jones again too yeah yeah I, i i think i've heard that she's probably going to appear at some point um so yeah continuing that after all these years i think is cool um and there's rumors going around that kingpin might end up serving as like a little bad in the overall mcu like coming up in the next few years um but so yeah i mean it makes sense to like it's just sad that it's like you've kind of failed at making a TV universe on your own in a lot of ways. So you have to like basically go and steal that Marvel stuff and like go back to it and continue it to have a TV universe that people care about. Well, I think Bob Eager has kind of like stepped in and said, all right, we're not going to do this shit. That's like losing us money. We're going to only do things that will make us money. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think I think that Netflix stuff is was that, you know. Um but yeah, fucking as long as Burnthal is playing Punisher and I get to see that again, um yeah. that's that's all that matters. Well, I don't want to sound like a fucking like incel or whatever, but I'm not really a big fan of a lot of that stuff that they've done with like re reimagining the characters basically or like changing storylines and stuff. I guess I'm just more of a traditionalist when it comes to my comic books, and I would rather, you know, like see the traditional characters as they're imagined. Right. Yeah, I can see that. I gotcha. Um. All right. So next week we have look. Um, it's good. Can you imagine? I mean, you can imagine at this point, like, like five different things probably that are coming up um, at some point. Yeah, I, I haven't even like felt the need to go and um, start looking up titles because I'll just <laughs> I'll find something. 
Right. Right. All right. So we'll be there, back next week with the book. book. There's a movie called Book? I'm pretty sure. Is Ernest Borgnine in it? What's he looking at? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think he's looking at? His fucked up teeth. Looking at a periscope. That's what I'm looking at. No. <laughs> no periscope to look at. <laughs> Why did you react so poorly to periscope? I don't know. Mm. I'm afraid you're trying yeah. to make me like the Poseidon adventure or something. Huh. Oh, Jesus. No. You've seen that. I know, but I'm going to start cheating in that respect anyway. What? I'm like rewatching things? Sometimes you're going to want to watch a movie I've seen before. <laughs> sometimes, of... got, sometimes man's got to cheat on the chagrin. Right. I've said that I'll do whatever it takes. Just trying to put together a quality performance, you know, <laughs> for the. <laughs> Just want the, my kids back. Um, that we have. Maybe so, we have yeah. Um, I, I think that's really interesting that you reacted that way to Periscope. Um, if that's the case, I think there's a category that you're really, really going to hate. Um, I hate submarine movies, just FYI. Mm, I like underwater boats? movies, but I don't like underwater movies that are on a submarine. I think submarines are dumb. Unless there's 20,000 leagues under the sea. And then what about that, that... Das Boot? I, you gotta pretend like you like Das Boot. Like, <laughs> I don't want to watch that movie again. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Um, Hunt for October? No? You, come, you know how I feel no? about Hunt October, come on. What's 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 wrong? And there's nothing wrong. It's just not interesting. Crimson Tide, no thanks. We already talked about that. Yes, Didn't we we? Did. Yeah, it was on a episode Movie. Chris loves, you know, like different too. Yeah, right. You're indifferent to that one. Yeah. You came, you came around on that one though. It's fine. It's got good performances. I just All right. All yeah, right. For you That's to fine. be interested in a single setting concept, right? Like mm-hmm. where it takes place in one, it's really got to be like compelling. And mm-hmm. I just don't give a shit about people on submarines, you know? Mm-hmm. Stay underwater where you belong. Okay. Well, that'd be really interesting when that category comes up then. All right. But anyway, in the meantime, we have next week Frank doing whatever the fuck he wants to do with the category of look. Um, Only somebody's got to see something at some point in the movie. No, that'll be that'll be hard. Um, so basically, nothing involving blind people because you are like you know uh, anti like handicap. No, that's that's an unfair accusation. Mm. Mm. Maybe maybe they've seen something inside themselves. You know. Okay. Maybe that's what they've seen. They could be blind. Okay. I just watched a movie with a blind person. Camp Town ladies sing this song. Right. This that he's the catalyst that um Dude, he is. All right. Yeah. Do da right. All right. Thanks I'll for listening, everybody. Time. We'll 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 be back next week with look. Deuces.